Well, it says the average worker in New York, according to a study, is spending less on meals, shopping, entertainment, near where they work. And so as a result, since some people are traveling into the city to work, this whole idea of a three-day work week and hybrid work, they're saving a lot of money, like a lot of money, almost $5,000 a year. Where do you think the money's going? Uh, right now, especially in the New York City area, I would guess the majority of that money is going towards just covering uh, increases in regular consumer goods. Cost of living in New York is insane, and uh, I would say the increases that we've seen out here in the hinterlands by comparison is nothing compared to what they see in the city. I can only imagine what they must be paying for eggs. You think they're paying more than we are for eggs? Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, every everything up there, I mean, I've, I've seen price sheet comparisons before, and it's depending on what you're looking at, unless you somehow can get out, out into, you know, the rural areas to get to a, you know, I say rural, you know, we're talking the suburbs, but, uh, you know, to get out to like a Costco or something like that. I mean, everything is just crazy expensive, uh, at least 50% more for just every basic item. You know, I remember I've told you this. And for those of you who are listening back in 1975, I believe it was, I drove to Washington, D.C. for a political convention. I drove my car. had a couple of guys with me. We just went uh, cross-country. And uh, I said to my mom and dad, they were down in Florida. I say, guess where I'm going? Where are you going? I said, I'm going to D.C. <laughs> like, you are? And I remember we pulled in and got our hotel and got squared around. And I went down to a, a little bodega, a little, you know, shop, a little restaurant. And I ordered a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. I still remember this. I'm telling you, the, the number I'm going to give you. Impact. <laughs> Listen, I ordered a BLT. I got Lay's potato chips in a little bag. And I got a Coca-Cola. And I got a pickle spear. And it cost me $1.76. I was appalled. I was on a tight budget. I was appalled. Because that was like three times what we spent back home. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. The, I don't uh, think you can get that anywhere today. Uh, no, I don't think so. But it's interesting because it, it shows you how much, uh, let's just call it the, the inflation of government created in the D.C. area and how it's basically still the same. Everything in the D.C. area is, you know, effectively the same cost as New York last time I checked. Just crazy inflated. And, and then I'm always reminded of an anecdote from uh, the last, you know, serious recession anyway, uh, 2008. Um, I guess it was the last technical recession too. We haven't fallen into one yet. Anyway, um, how, you know, the construction never stopped in, in the, in the beltway, how everybody just kept doing their thing. And anybody who visited there had this just unease because the rest of the country was going through this thing. Even places like New York, it was like, yeah, things are not going so great. Meanwhile, the, uh, the people that feed off of the, off of the government, coffers seem to be doing just a-okay yes ladies and gentlemen there is a thing called inflation i was uh, with my mother and father when my dad bought gas down in texas one time out in the panhandle for 19.9 the lowest i ever bought it was in i believe it was in missouri and i was um, out with a girlfriend and it was 19.9 but general rule of thumb 25 cents was the uh 24, 25, 26 gallon, 20 cents per gallon. Remember, sure. as, remember my mom would, uh, would say to me, listen, here, go, go pick up some groceries. She'd give me a grocery list, give me a dollar to do it. 
She knew that a quarter was for gas, and I could go to McDonald's and get uh, two all-beef paste, special sauce, cheese, pickles, onions, on a sesame seed bun. <laughs> I could get a little bag of fries and a Coca-Cola for 50 cents. Sure. Yeah, those were the days. 19-cent hamburgers at McDonald's. Yeah. Well, I think the lowest I've seen is 89 yeah, where were we? We were traveling. Uh, it was like 2004 or 5. I think we were in Texas. Period. It was before hurricanes really messed up a bunch of the infrastructure and gas was really cheap for some reason. I don't remember what the the geopolitical situation was at the time, but I think we were probably flooding the market with uh, cheap gas or something or another. <laughs> Boy, we sure got lucky when we had the motorhome years ago, but didn't we? Boy, we caught gas at the low oh, yeah. end and we sold it just as it was starting to go up. Yep, those things, uh, they suck fuel. Speaking of uh, gasoline, let's talk a little bit about a powerful cyclone that struck New Zealand. Happened the other day, February 11th and 12th, give around, yeah, give or take. They are without electricity. They are in the dark because of high winds and intense rainfall. Now, this is a nation along with Australia. They're uh, like 100% electric. They, no, they're not, but they want to go 100% electric. They want to ban all combustible sources and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know what's going on. Not everybody, but there's some wackadoodles down there. So my question to you is, what happens to a place like New Zealand, it's an island, if they actually do go hog wild all electric and something like this happens, um, they're screwed. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you need more. If, you need, if you're going to go completely electric, which few places have the ability to just because there's not enough renewables that are cost effective and all that sort of stuff but if you if you can the one issue that you always have to account for that very few people seem to is uh you need enough batteries because you need to store that energy somewhere and uh you know or you need to have your doomsday machine that provides yourself some dirty fuel or dirty energy on dirty fuels to uh compensate for the times when it is too cloudy or too windy to run certain types of machines or whatever so and of course your greenies the people that uh, want everything electric and and rape the earth of all of its uh rare earth minerals uh they're going to fly their planes over because uh, everybody's oh, you know yeah yeah they, they stopped making the boeing 747 last one is uh, out the door Yep, last one's out the door, and there's even a, a little Easter egg in the in the first flight of that that aircraft. They flew and they made a uh, uh, the flight path made a seven four seven like a little graphic in the sky over Idaho. I think it's pretty. That's cool. very cool. Well, I, I have it on good a uh, good record. Um, I received a call the other day from a Monkey Joe, and Monkey Joe told me that um, the new seven forty seven will be all electric. Uh, they're oh, going to have sure. they're going to have. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's true. We have solar panels and all the 37 wings that uh, will fly the thing. It's true. Monkey Joe told me that. It, it could be. I, I doubt it, though. <laughs> so if we go all uh, electric, what are we going to do with the Air Force if uh, we have to start shooting some more drones over us? I'm, I'm just wondering how far we're going to carry this. Will we, will we be going the Chinese route and having balloons, the balloon force? The answer to all that is no. No, contrary to uh, irate children who don't understand how the real world works, uh, no, we will continue to burn. We will continue to burn jet fuel. We will continue to burn diesel and gasoline and and all of the all of the fancy other miscellaneous fuels we 
we use to power all of our machines. I, I think uh, I think it's wrong. I think you're I think you're dead serious. I think you're dead wrong. I, th I think that the uh, Chinese are definitely leading the world in aviation, and uh, they're just testing out uh, their own little version of uh, mini Hindenburgs, and um, um, it's their way of um, you know spreading the love and and the population to uh, to our side of the uh, pond. Sure. No. I don't think so. Okay. Well, no, it, it is the uh, the balloon and and all the, the drone situation is interesting. It's um, definitely something going on. <laughs> well, if they keep it up, the uh, magical uh, earthquake machine here in the United States um, will uh, be turned on, like we did in Turkey. And um, <laughs> yeah, I, I told you last time, the the moment I heard about the the Turkey earthquake and how bad it was. I was like, you know, the, the wackos on the internet are going to start talking about the earthquake machine. It was the first thing that came to my mind. And I was 100% right. The QAnon and libertarian-leaning types immediately started blathering on social media about earthquake machines. And it was the funniest thing ever because I was just like, I, th this, this was just such a sure thing for me in my head. I just knew that this is what these people were going to talk about. And yep, here we go. Uh, since we since we last talked about it, there it was an interesting little piece of information that I, I discovered about that earthquake. Apparently, the the angle of the energy was basically sideways. Okay. And it was really shallow, so that's why the the level of destruction was extremely high. Um, interesting. So basically, it just kind of shot through the entire area, at a, and a lot of that energy actually reached the surface instead of you know, any other place. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, I saw some charts that showed roughly how the dispersion of energy went. And it's like, yeah, pretty much anything in that area, if it wasn't built to extreme standards, was going to have serious issues, and it did. So, you know, like we talked about that castle. If a castle can stand for 2,200 years and now it's gone, I, <laughs> you're, you, it, conditions have changed in the area a lot, to say the least. So you, you have an event that is so powerful that it's more powerful than anything that has happened in thousands of years. At least 2,200, yeah. Okay. And you saw that they're blaming, and you saw that they are blaming shoddy, illegal construction on a lot of the devastation in uh, Turkey. And so they're going after people in the construction industry. My question to you is... That doesn't surprise me at all, like... The worst constructed things are going to fall down during a hurricane or a seismic event or anything like that. So, yeah. Well, if they're going to go after those people, why not go after government inspectors? Well, you know, that's that's a, that's the problem when you have a government run by a little tin pot dictator like Erdogan. I wonder if they even have building inspectors. Seriously. Uh, they probably do, but like a lot of places where they don't really care, they take a little... Uh, they take a little handout and they just keep on moving. And what I always find interesting is how they are, the, the, a lot of the people in the area, it's being reported whether it's true or not, um, just like certain segments of our country, whining and carrying on, you're not doing enough for me. But then if you have, for example, tornadoes in the Midwest and these small, hard-working, all-American towns, they just go, well, we got hit again. And we'll rebuild. In other places, it's, oh, mama, help me, help me. I, I see well, a lot of that. Well, uh, one of those is happening as we speak. Uh, last week, there was a, 
a train full of vinyl chloride or something like that in a small city in Ohio that yep. derailed and caught on fire. And as with a lot of these highly toxic, you know, situations, you don't, there's not a lot you can do. You just wait you just and let it burn out and, and burn out and yeah, controlled burn deal with the aftermath. And, uh, anyways, vinyl chloride. I, I think that's what, that was the chemical, um, horribly toxic. It's going to, it permanently cause issues for the area. And it seems like after the initial news report, nobody in the country really gives two hoots about it. No. I, 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 did you see Biden or, or Camilla Kamala get out there and say anything or, no, no, you know, fly not. in with Air Force uh, one, two, or three? And, <laughs> and yeah. No, there's only one Air Force one. Oh, I thought, uh, okay. There's only one Air Force one. Yep. I thought there was Air Force two and three. I thought nope. three was the one that they have uh, the, for the the dark gray state that that flies around too. No, Air Force one is a call sign designation, oh. and whatever plane the president is on is Air Force one. Oh. That's how it works. You sure about that? Because I I, 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 sure. I read a I read a story that they they you know the shadow government has Air Force two and three up there. Well, they may, but they're not. That it's not call sign Air Force one. Oh. If the president gets on a commercial airliner, it's piloted by a military pilot. It's Air Force one. Well, I, you know, maybe I got some inside secret information we should not have disclosed. Uh, Monkey maybe. Joe told me that too. Maybe. Monkey Joe knows a lot of stuff. So then what we got going on, I listened, I was on Twitter the other day. I told you about this. I decided to re-engage Twitter in a different way. And um, I have a thing that I put together years ago and it's all corporate websites. I just want to, you know, if it's Walmart, GE, Boeing, you know, just. Yeah, corporate accounts, yeah. Yeah, because news blows, just, ugh, you know. Um, it seems like it, somebody writes a story, it catches wind, and you get 37 iterations of it. But the point I'm getting at is I, I noticed that Walmart is literally flooding Twitter with uh, tweets about every possible good and service. Cucumbers are on sale the other day, and then baby wipes, and... I mean, what a great free advertising venue. Yeah, if, if anybody pays attention to it, <laughs> that's the issue, right? Yeah, but but I'm wondering, I wonder how much Walmart is spending on ads with Twitter because I do know that they were one of the companies that when Elano Musco bought it said, we're not going to advertise anymore, but they sure seem to be using it. Uh, Yeah, yeah. A lot of people kind of view Twitter at least as a uh, uh, public square type thing, so... People have their bots set up and they automatically just kind of publish stuff out there. I never considered looking at these uh, more corporate accounts for what they're doing, but I guess that makes sense what they're doing. Well, here's the thing. Uh, let's see. Let me think about this. Maybe four, five, six years ago, I, I had curated um, these sites uh, for one reason, one reason only. You got the press releases, you got some decent information. In the other day, or the prior podcast, whenever we talked about it, <clears throat> we were talking about how LinkedIn has gone the way of Facebook. It's so much trash. Yeah. If you want to be recognized, you got to put up, you know, here, here's a key for those of you who are, who are social media um, dependent, uh, take a picture of a dog or a cat and put it in with anything you want to talk about. <laughs> yep. It's always been the case. Yeah. Or, or here's another one. Oh, I'm dead serious on this one. If you really want to get... And here's the formula. This is a secret formula for getting lots of likes and lots of views. Okay, I'm dead serious on this. Don't 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 uh, don't get mad at me. One, 
you got to have a dog and you got to have a cat. Really important. And ideally, if they're like sitting next to each other, that's perfect. Second, you got to have a background of flowers and like a like some kind of a nice meadow. That's real important. And you got to have a tree in the picture. You then have to have a, a couple with only one child. You can't have two. But you but if you but if you have two, there's a rule. The couple, at least one, has to be of unknown race. Okay? You can't quite tell if it's black, brown, white. So you gotta have that. And then you also then have to have, if you have two children, one has to be handicapped. Has to have a crutch or a cane, <laughs> has to be in a wheelchair of some type. Um, and, and that's the rule. And if you then have a feel-good message like Life is beautiful and diversity is wonderful. And we drink Kool-Aid, buy Kool-Aid. I'm telling you, you will get a million views. Yeah, well, there is a formula for get, capturing people's attention. And it's pretty obvious what it is if you just watch any ads on television or anywhere else these days. But here's the thing. I don't believe that you're getting real views. I really do believe that the algorithms and I think some of these companies have bots that they just intentionally promote things. We learned from Tiki Taki Tok Tok the other day that they uh, do the very same thing. If people inside, they curate, oh, I like that, let's push that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, none of this is organic. It's it's all fake to some degree. And I, I bring this to your attention because the other day we talked about how, and I've, I've been a little bit more vocal on it lately, that all this networking, going and seeing things, I, I swear to God, some of these people that attend these things are non-playing characters. They're NPCs. They're bots themselves. They're just, it's, it's, it's a waste of freaking time and effort. On the other hand, I've met some really cool people. We've acquired some great staff and a couple of really good clients. But for the time and effort, not such a good idea, folks. No, it's definitely more, more of a waste of time than not type situation. Artificial intelligence is playing a greater and better role in the delivery of healthcare. According to some reports, there's more patient focus because of artificial intelligence. Uh, you know, if that's the case, then why do we have to have any kind of tort reform when it comes to medical malpractice? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, why don't you expand about that, about what happened in Florida and, and medical mal? Because we've got some insight on that. Yeah, yeah, uh, due to uh, some recent circumstances uh, and some people we know, it's very interesting. We've gotten a good deep dive into, what is it, since 2017, I think? 2017. Uh, there was uh, some medical malpractice uh, tort reform in the state of Florida. And basically, it's almost impossible to sue a doctor for doing the wrong thing now. It has to be extremely egregious, like like cutting off the wrong leg type situation for you to be able to effectively or, or uh, uh, effectively sue and, and do anything. Um, they've made it, the hurdles are just absolutely insane. So anyway, it's, it's, we shouldn't spend too much time on it, but it is a, it is a terrible situation where you've got Basically, doctors, well, different attorneys have, have said to you specifically that, you know, doctors can literally go into the surgical suite high or drunk, and that's still not technically malpractice. They have to do something above and beyond. It can't be like, oh, a little mistake or this or that. It has to be, again, like, oh, you go, you go in for a, uh, 
a hand surgery and they cut off your whole arm type situation it's terrible. to do anything. So yeah, that's uh, it's pretty gross. Yeah, the uh, if you look online and you see all the uh, lawyers out there who sue their litigation practice, they'll say they do medical malpractice, but they really don't. They are so discriminatory in taking cases. They, it, it literally has to be a winner, winner, chicken dinner right off the bat. You know, it's uh, you got to get uh, lucky number seven, 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 and the two sevens already given for you. And then the uh, odds are you get uh, six, six, six and seven, seven, seven. So you got a good chance of getting the damn thing. But um, yeah, it's just, it's not right. One of the things also I, I got a kick out of, I saw on Twitter, what else? Twitter, a, a big pharma company. This I know you'll be surprised at this. They said, quote, I love this quote, patients are the focus of all we do. This happens to be a company that's made a few things for COVID uh, type stuff and their profits are out of freaking sight. So my question is, is their focus on profitability? Is it on political clout? Is it on shareholders or is it really for the patients? Uh, their focus is on shareholder value as it always will be. Uh, the, the executives in these companies uh, are hired and fired. The executives in these companies are hired and fired based on uh, their ability to uh, stimulate stock performance. So that's... That's the reality of it. They All this other stuff is fluff. Well, listen, here's the thing. I don't know what really caused this COVID stuff. I don't know if it, it was a Chinese plot. I don't know if it was uh, organized and created by our own government or some goofy combo. You know, if it was organized by the Chinese. It was the biggest backfire ever. If it was done by our own government, I don't really see how that benefited anybody i know the, the i was just doing is, a takeaway though i know but I'm, I'm just saying from a very realistic perspective this seems to me like uh i think the initial kind of theory makes a lot of sense the oopsie we were testing on something that we found in the wild that escaped and then the chinese didn't really know what to do because their whole government management system is pretty poor and it got out of hand and they tried to save face and uh do you think they weaponized it, or do you think it's just, we screwed up bad? I don't know. I mean, it, it's possible. It was definitely a place where that type of testing was being done. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, the reality is I think it's a fairly natural, it was a fairly natural evolution in SARS, and it was just a matter of time before that virus got out, given the history in the 10 or 15 years prior. You know what? I think we should create a, uh, a mass hysteria. Ready? I can do it right now. Oh, boy. Here we go. So we started talking about um, New York and their spending money and all that kind of stuff. And we talked a little bit about the Air Force. And, you know, we're actually having missions over the U.S., right? I mean, think about that. We're actually having Air Force yeah. missions over the U.S. Yeah, we have, we have two for two as far as air-to-air uh, -air, uh, kills over North America. That's pretty interesting. Has, prior to that... The uh, it had never happened before. Multiple, we fought multiple world wars and all this stuff, and never had one air-to-air -air kill over over the continental United States. And now we have two. We have what three or four in two weeks. <laughs> okay, and then we, and then we have COVID, right? Yeah. So here here we go for for all of the uh, conspirators. Here we go. 
the balloons from China have been coming over for many years, and they were the delivery system for COVID. Oh, boy. So you see it's a no-win situation. When you shoot them down, you spread the COVID, and when they just fly over, you spread the COVID. They're floating biological weapons. How well, long do you think before that starts making the mainstream news now that we said it? Well, that kind of thing has already been stated, just less, just not focused on, on biologicals. People have talked about how, you know, when the first balloon was over, they were like, oh, i got to shoot it down immediately. They're testing for EMPs and all kinds of other similar ideas. And all of that's totally possible. Uh, is that what they're doing? I don't think so. I think this is some strange game that they're playing. Uh, plus, it's a good combination of they their satellite tech is not very great. So, Well, you know, here's what I like doing. I like uh, Dr. Strangelove and uh, Monkey Joe thinking. Um, here, here's what... Here's what I want y'all to do out there in radio land. Think about all the different possibilities that the Chinese have for motivation in terms of uh, floating these things. Is it for weather? Is it for spying? Is it for jamming? Is it for photography? Is it for biological, chemical distribution of bad things? Or is it just to uh, show uh, Three Stooges cartoons on uh, the CBS network and uh, jam it with uh, idiotic uh, television programming? What what could be the possible reason for Mo, Mo, and Mo to be coming with all of their uh, their balloons? So that's just something that uh, I mean. I, 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 well, I think it's just a general surveillance program. Um, and I, I mean, think, the obvious is the most obvious and yeah, likely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that this is a, that there's some grand conspiracy at play. Oh, come I think, on. I think NORAD has been watching these things for years. You mean they and, don't tell us everything they're doing? And contrary to what a lot of the uh, hyperbolic, uh, hyper political idiots out there on social media have to say, uh, no, this isn't really a big deal that NORAD has finally had enough of, of the Chinese crap and no, they didn't. They didn't do a, an all points bulletin every single time some unidentified thing was flying through our airspace. And uh, I would ask everybody to stop amplifying the ridiculous UFO crap because it's just getting annoying at this point. It's China or it's Russia or it's some other sophisticated actor playing a game. Like we do the same thing. Obviously, we don't use balloons. We use a thing called satellites. I know they're really complicated to understand, but you know. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's obviously some type of surveillance thing. My guess is the, the reports of, uh, these things going over in the years prior are hundred percent true and they're doing some type of, uh, mapping or, you know, they've got some detection thing they're working on or something like that. And we've, because of the, uh, let's call it the political geopolitical circumstances that we found ourselves in between China and the U.S. mainly, and and what's going on with Russia, uh, we have decided to put our foot down. It's like, no, we're done. You're not going to fly over our stuff anymore. Just like we decided to ban, uh, we're, we're increasing our, our steps for banning things with relation to high technology, chip manufacturing, and all that sort of stuff. This is becoming a, a cold war against... <laughs> This is becoming a cold war against China, and we're we're tired of their BS. And this is just another step, you know. This is uh, uh, these 
in the past, uh, we in the Soviet Union did the same thing. And after a while, we stopped uh, flying things over that weren't all the way in outer space because everybody knew that one was going to shoot down the other one. The old U-tube and then, or U-tube, <laughs> the U-2 flights and uh, the uh, horrible treatment that the government gave to uh, Gary Powers, who was captured. And Yeah. Yeah. Well, but the reality is a lot of those types of missions are thankless jobs. Just like in Ukraine, you have lots and lots of people. I've read a few articles about a few of them who are, you know, they're in Russia. They're doing stuff. They're assassinating Russian leaders and generals and taking out supply depots and, you know, doing intelligence and, and, uh, and paramilitary operations inside of Russia. And just, it's the same thing. When you're doing something that is highly illegal or against international rules and standards, but is necessary for, you know... The survival of your nation? Yeah, whether it's, whether it's against the Soviet Union or for Ukraine, it's against, uh, it's, it's against Russia to, you know, gather intelligence or, or cut the head off a snake or something. Um, you know, it's a thankless job, but, you know, some, somebody's got to do it. And, and in the situation of Gary Powers, it's unfortunate, but that has happened a lot with us. You know, when you don't have any leverage to get somebody back, it's... Um, you know, sometimes you have to act like, oh, I don't know what that was. And you have to look the other way. Well, I'm going to drop a, a little turd bomb here. A lot of things that we talk about, uh, really, is, it's all about connecting dots. One of our original podcasts was called Connecting Dots. And, and we're going to be making a lot of changes here with all of our corporate branding and a couple of other things. We're going to be uh, changing the name of our, our podcast. It's the Paul Truesdale podcast. That'll stay the same. But then we're going to have the Paul Truesdale podcast bites, and those little segments will be going up. Those used to be semi-private. We're going to make them se- uh, public, and uh, they're just going to be little bites. So segments of this podcast will be available and uh, to wet the whistle of those who haven't seen it. But one of the things I want to share with you right now, and, and Paul, I want you to bear with on this, we have a non-com office. We have non-coms, non-commissioned officers. Your sergeants that lead military groups, police departments always run, are only as good as their sergeants, that whole thing. Russians don't have that. Yeah. yeah and I don't know, does China even have non-coms that we know of? I have not studied the Chinese military structure, so I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. It, we have to do that someday. Yeah, I'll have to dig into that and find out. I'm not sure. We're not going to get into that right now, but I want to tie a couple of things together. It is a fact. Strokes of genius are known to fuel nearly everything which is considered a great achievement in the world. The question that I want to throw out there is why then do public schools and government entities continue to aggressively pour drugs uh, into the bloodstream of hyperactive children who are literally some of the most creative among us. And I say this because in Russia, in China, let's take China, for example. You know, oh, Chinese are so smart. They go to school. They get high, great grades. There's not a lot of uh, what I would call creative rocket scientists coming out of China compared to the U.S. And you have to think outside of the box. You have to reject the box even exists. When faced with a problem, some of these militaries and some of these countries, and if you mint an entire society that goes, well, I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do. You know, I think COVID really showed that, you know, we're just going to do what everybody tells us to do. So, yeah, I think 
I want to have someday a real discussion about are we altering our nation with all the drugs they pour into the veins of children because they're hyperactive. And at the same time, we have Baltimore where basically the overwhelming majority of the population of Baltimore schools cannot read and write. Yeah. I mean, they can't read and write. Well, the literacy thing, there's a million things to talk about with relation to education. And this obviously can be an ongoing topic, but you know, the education thing to me really is upsetting because one, how much money is spent on education, you know, every teacher or anybody associated with the, with the education system, whether they're, whether they're an elementary school teacher all the way up to, you know, college professors, you know, their number one complaint when you ask them about what, what should the government help them with is it's just always more money. Somehow magically there's, you know, you could pour half of GDP into education and it wouldn't, it wouldn't make a dent because it has to do with, with what you're doing with that money. It's, it's the organization of the system. Um, but, you know, the, the, there's some obvious tells that you have a serious problem with the education system, and that's go back to the founding of the country. Uh, you know that I, I talk about this occasionally. It is just, it's baffling that during the founding, of, around the time of the founding of our country, we started to do surveys and, and, and do, do the first census, and we started to figure out, okay, who actually lives here and what can they do? Because that, that's another thing that, that they, they had to figure out who is here. <laughs> how, do we, how do we even run a government if we don't even know who's here? And it's just kind of a funny, obvious thing that if, you're, if you have an upstart country, yeah, first thing you should do is figure out who's here and what do they need. And so one of the things that the, these early studies or polls or whatever uh, showed was that the citizenry of the, the newly formed United States were somewhere around 98% literate. And, you know, going into the middle of the 19th century, the U.S. was the highest consumer of, of printed uh, books and magazines and things of any other uh, moderately literate society in the world. Um, the U.S., obviously, people in the United States placed a high value on the ability to read and write. And, of course, you fast-forward that today, and that number is nowhere near 98%. Um, I've in, in the back of my head, I had an anecdote about, I can't remember. There's a, there's a, a super popular book that was sold in the middle of the 19th century. It might be Tom Sawyer or something like that. Yeah, I think it was. It, I think it was it. I think it's still per capita anyway, the highest distribution book in U S history other than the Bible. Um, like millions of copies were sold in an era where there was tens of millions of people in the country. I mean, just crazy distribution. People just, the scale of which, I mean, can you imagine a book coming out today that sold 50 million copies or, or 60 million copies? I mean, you just, it, it just won't happen. No. I mean, the one exception to that is religious texts. That's, that's it. Um, and even then, people don't read those. They just buy them and put them on a shelf and they reference them, you know, once a week if they're, if they're highly active. Very few people actually read, read any book cover to cover. So anyway, you know, today the... the that's true. Today, the literacy rate in, in the U.S., I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I know it's somewhere around uh, roughly 70%, you know, adult literacy. That's ridiculous. And, you know, so it starts with very, very basic things. And unfortunately, there's no amount of money that's going to be able to fill that gap. 
And when you start to get those kind of divergent trends in the people that can and cannot, you have to start making some very pragmatic decisions as to where you allocate resources. If you have somebody that is in their 30s or 40s, I don't think there's a lot you can do to raise their extremely subpar ability to read. Like, you know, they can go and buy things at a restaurant or a store and they can read stop signs. They're literate enough to drive a car, but they're never going to be able to read uh, a Sherlock Holmes book cover to cover without falling over, right? It's just, no, it's, they're not, not going to comprehend it. So you can't fill that gap. Um, you know, the reality with, with, the, with the literacy rates was that America was an agricultural country that children were around their parents for the vast majority of their lives. So the education of their parents mattered a lot. They passed all this stuff down. We, they lived in an era where the only entertainment you had was going and talking to other people, doing stuff with your hands, reading books, or sitting around with your imagination. You didn't have a lot of, you didn't have you know, the glowing screen in your pocket. And uh, anyway, the, I guess the last point I have on this is that the, it's, it's, it's disappointing, but uh, you, know, we've, you and I have talked about this for the better part of a decade now. Um, you, know, you, you mentioned years and years ago, I remember you talked about um, Newt Gingrich and his comments back in the what, late 90s, mid, mid to late 90s about yeah. how every child will have a computer and people you know, made fun of him and treated him like he was a lunatic, but he was 100% correct. Um, the Speaker of the House for the Democratic minority at the time, and I believe it might have been Pelosi that actually said this, I remember very vividly, and it literally could have been, you know what, come to think about it, it might have been Hillary Clinton. Wouldn't surprise me. I, I now have this vision of Hillary Clinton going, oh, yeah, right. Like, we're going to put a, a, a computer in a giant backpack, and every kid's going to have a broken back carrying their computers back and forth. Oh, yeah. What is this man's nuts? I remember that as like I'm sitting right now. Wouldn't surprise me. But, you know, my point is that as forward-thinking as that was, and it was very forward-thinking, you know, uh, Newt Gingrich making comments like that, Steve Jobs, even after he left Apple uh, in the 80s, continued with Next and, and his other projects, and then after he came back to Apple, of course, always having a heavy emphasis on uh, getting technology into education. Um, you know, all these things being very forward-thinking are true, right? It's preparing people for the future. But the one thing that it doesn't do is it doesn't do what everybody thought it would do, which is the computer is not a teacher. And more than anything, yes, you have more information at your fingertips than any other person in the history of man. Yep. But the problem is, it's it, for most people anyway, it is used as a crutch. There are people, there's a handful, like for you, your entire upbringing was pre-computer, at least home computer. So, you know, the reality is, is, you know, the computer, at least when you were uh, younger, your, when you, you grew up with computers and everything, and, but the issue was they were in a giant room someplace. Yeah, IBM punch cards had to, had to put a request in for time, and, and our time was always at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, and, you know. Yeah, so, so it was one of those, you know, was, using a computer was no different than going to the library. So you know, while they were around, they weren't the magical tool that they are today. Yeah. My father and his firm, and I mean, they had, remember when dad talked about the company had a, um, a 
freezer type room. It was massive in size. I don't remember what he said, but they had their first Sperry Rand, I think it was, uh, water-cooled, frozen-type computer and the amount of energy it consumed, the electric bill. But boy, did it save them money and this, that, and everything else. And the accountants loved it. Like, wow. Yeah, was and that, was a, that, was, that was a big deal. Yeah, multi-million dollar calculating machines. That's exactly what it was. My dad's paid, by the way, I have to say this, I want you to continue, but my dad paid $999.99 for one of the very first Texas Instruments handheld calculators. And it probably made a thousand times that in profit. It did. The ability to quickly calculate things on the fly without whipping out an abacus or, or doing it all by hand in front of somebody. Yeah, and then he he, he uh, used to say, that damn son of a bitch caused me to get more IRS audits because I was <laughs> depreciating it. And people said, there's no way a calculator costs that much. And he'd, he'd always have to pull it out. Yes, it did. Here it is. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. But the, you know, the, the reality is, is that with technology, people thought that it was going to solve education's problems. And it didn't. Yeah. Now, you and I have talked about for a decade, technology is doing nothing. And, it's, and it's, it's even more obvious now than it was 10 years ago. It's a crutch now. Because why should I learn it if I can just pull it up in a thing? It's no different than people that own an encyclopedia. Do people read an encyclopedia cover to cover? I know I was the kid that always would always read stuff to, to remember it. And obviously that's, that's a consequence of my upbringing because, you know, the reality is, is while computers and stuff were always around, I straddled the pre-technology period in my upbringing. So I remember a world where uh, if, if you didn't have access to anything, you didn't have access to anything. Uh, you know, if you weren't hardwired with a computer into anything, it just didn't exist. Um, you know, I... I vividly remember, you know, booting up computers and, you know, moving data around and, and loading programs on floppy disks. That was, you know, that was the only way you got data into a machine. And wow, CDs came around and that was amazing. And you could fit so much more data on all this stuff. But, you know, an internet connection was a privilege, not a constant 24-7 thing. Now we have Wi-Fi blasting in every building anywhere on the planet. So, I mean, at least at least in the Western world, Right. So, you know, you can you can get access to any piece of information all the time from your smartphones or Wi-Fi pretty much everywhere. Well, that crutch is no different than carrying around, you know, your your giant manual all the time. There are people who do memorize the manual for whatever it is that they're doing. Right. And my guess is that's a large problem with test taking these days for people that aren't in a, a serious school is you go to take an exam for you know, at least for our business, uh, you know, insurance or any type of securities licensing. Uh, and I assume it's probably the same thing with law school now. It, the The pass rates have got to be falling through the floor because these people can't retain anything. Why would they retain it? They can pull it up on their device. Well, if you don't know it, you can't, you can't reason about it. So, you know, you just, you have a serious problem with education now because everybody wants to, to substitute real learning with education and there's some place for that you know people aren't going to memorize pi to 3.14159265 like I did years ago yep that is i i used to remember more but that's there's no need um anything beyond that i can look it up but if you don't even know what pi is and where to begin and you have to look it up on wikipedia every time somebody mentions it 
you're you're nothing more i mean you're about as you're literally as dumb as chat gpt like you you it's just it's a waste of energy so education has serious issues if if i was to on a very surface level reinvent the education system i would probably at this point strip all the technology out of it it seems it seems counterintuitive at this point and it seems like a luddite approach of you will read you will you will you will stimulate your you will stimulate your own mind with the people around you what is what is being spoken to you and what is in your textbooks first and the technology will come afterwards because it's obvious that this constant 24/7 glowing screen stimulation is is not going to better educate the future well, there's a word I'm going to, two words for the day, uh, ludite and uh, tragedite. Go ahead and look those two words up and have fun with it. Um, one of the things going back to being having your face buried in a computer and phone, you know, I had many clients years ago back in the, in the early and mid-80s that were physicians. I had a quite a medical practice yeah. uh, clientele. And uh, your young residents used to carry around these big, thick pocket books. They're physician desk reference all the drugs and they're, they're always you know flipping things back and forth and yeah, it was the their shorthand all the important interactions and all the stuff that yeah there's no way possible today that these uh, doctors and residents are running around uh, with their uh, pads uh, ipads or their phones and can rapidly access the information as quickly as they could years ago because those little flip books were sturdy they were laminated. They had tabs. You could go flip, flip, flip back and forth. You just can't do it. It's, it's a lot like they have these things every once in a while where somebody will have a calculator and they'll be banging away at it. And then some kid will have an abacus and the kid will beat the calculator all day long with the, cal with the abacus. Yeah. I'm not saying we go back to an abacus or a slide rule, which I actually still know how to use. But I'm saying that just because you can doesn't mean you should. And you yes. and I have seen in recent years the number of doctors, and I'm not being mean, but we have, because of the nature of our business, we have a lot of clients that use a lot of medicine. The overprescription, the lack of proper diagnosis, and I think it's just because they're not thinking. Well, that's exactly the issue, right? That's, it's the same thing with somebody who can use an abacus quicker than somebody that can use a calculator is, is the same problem you're describing with somebody who had an old... Uh, medical reference versus it's on your iPad. Problem becomes the, t the, the tool is a crutch. When you're utilizing one of these, when you're utilizing something that is a reference, it requires you to rationalize. It requires you to reason with it. It requires you to think about it. If you're thinking, hmm, drug interactions for aspirin, and you start Okay, you go to the you go to the thing and you reference it and you look and it's like, hmm, okay. You get two or three things to think about, and then you go and look at those, and you're starting to put the pieces together. You're starting to rationalize what is going on. When you look it up on your iPad thing, you just look for that and it's gonna give you everything that it knows about, and you're not gonna think about that unusual thing that pops up occasionally that you've seen twice in your entire career. It's just not gonna it's not gonna happen. You're just gonna go to we're gonna start we're gonna start trying things from from the list a to z and then we'll figure out what's going on um same thing with like a, an abacus right when you are utilizing a calculator you're not thinking about or at least you know very few people that i've that i've ever uh, talked with that leverage an out a calculator for anything 
Um, very few people actually think about the algorithms that are going into what you're trying to calculate. Where with an abacus, you actually have to do that. It's not just, oh, three times five. You know, you're not thinking three multiplication, five equals. No, you're, work, you're working the algorithm. You're, you're modifying what you're trying to do into an abacus, correct? Exactly. So it's just, it, it gets your brain working in different ways. It's not this very static, I have question, give me result, which is the problem with these machine learning technologies. Um, this is something we'll talk about next time, which is chat GPT and, and what a scam it is because it is a fantastic tool for certain applications, but um, the tech industry is now starting to sell this as the next amazing thing that's going to solve all these problems, and it's not. It is people, it, it is not intelligence. No. It is, it is pattern matching. It is very simply machine learning. You feed it information, and it is able to answer questions based on the information that you fed it. If you feed it a bunch of bad information, it's going to feed you what it thinks is true. It is not actually intelligent. <laughs> you know, I, going back to what fueled this, um, if you want to be a genius, you cannot follow the Pied Piper. You cannot be a lemming. And you have to realize that our nation was built upon those who refused to be lemmings. Great yeah, people part, do that. Yeah. And with that being said, you have Ukraine, and I guarantee you that uh, Ukraine is going to mop the floor. Uh, Russia is, is going to have a horrific uh, next couple of months coming up. I don't care what anybody it, says. It's going to be hard for both sides coming up. Yeah. It is, it is going to be Ukraine versus the horde. And it's, it's, it's going to get ugly for, for both sides. But Russia, I mean, just the past few days, it's what, a thousand plus, ca a thousand plus casualties per day? It's just unsustainable. It doesn't matter. I mean, the Eastern Front in World War II, the numbers were, I think, on average throughout the war, like 2,000 casualties per day. And this was a war that engulfed two of Europe's largest economies into full-on war economies where nothing else was going on other than the, the propulsion of the conflict. So the scale of things that is, is, is evolving is truly amazing. I but, mean, things you, that we haven't seen in nearly a century. Yeah, but you, you've, got, you've got Mighty Mouse against the, the, big, the big cat, let's just say. and well, uh, the bear. The big bear, and the, you know, it's the the mighty mouse is doing a pretty damn good job of uh, poking yeah. a bear and taking a bear down over and over and over. Well, and that and, and that's the thing that really, to me anyway, infuriated me about how about a lot of Americans' response. Now it's nowhere near a majority. Obviously, the polling and everything shows that, but there's a certain portion of the population that we've talked about before that is pro-Russia or um, pro-Putin you know, anti-Ukraine because of something, something, Trump, something, something, Biden, things that are absolutely meaningless. Um, and it's baffling because some of these people are, at least historically speaking, are some of the most pro-American, uh, freedom-loving, those types. You know, uh, obviously, you know, they're, they're, they are, at least they view themselves as real, you know, quote-unquote American patriots, right? And it's it's disturbing to me because they see... What, what you just described, right? You know, the, the little guy, you know, the David versus Goliath situation and their gut reaction to it was not go David. How can we help David? It was, 
well, Goliath is just going to win anyway, so just just get it over sooner. It it won't it won't be as much of an inconvenience to me on the other side of the planet. And that to me is probably the most disgusting response I've heard. It's Anybody, it's a drug brain response, is what it is. Well, it's it's people. They're it's it's a cowardly response. Yep. At the end of the day, it's people who are not willing to endure any pain and suffering to solve a problem. And, and just, that includes a lot of boomers who are absolutely well, afraid of having their social security reduced or anything. Well, I, I, I want to go to Disney World. No, it's shut down because we're at war. Uh, no, well, that's, the, that's ultimately the problem with large social systems. That's yep. the problem with a, with a large aging population. You know, these, these are new challenges that... And it's not just us. China has oh, no. a huge problem with every, that. No, he, everybody does. Every, every, every developed country has a, a large problem with, with, aging, with an aging population. And it's interesting because an aging population is a massive vulnerability because they're only interested in comfort in their final years. No, ask anybody in, that's 65 or older and ask them if they're ready to struggle to, to solve a great challenge. They're not. They just want to die peacefully. Well, I know I am, and I have no problem saying that. That I'm always been the weird guy out of you know. The, well, but I have you, but yeah. it's true, right? I mean, yeah. you know, no, it, it is a hundred percent true. Expended, you know, three, four fifths of your of your lifespan, and and you're not, you know, you're. I see. Everybody so, gets tired, and well, yeah. you know, the reality is, a lot of people they get to that point, and it's just I don't I don't want to do it anymore. But so you know, the point is not not to get into the heads of, the, of those people. It doesn't really matter. The point is, in the grand scheme of things, that is a new vulnerability that you have to worry about. And how we manage that going forward is important because uh, the the thoughts and wants and feelings of a large uh, elderly population can be used as an intelligence tool to co-opt an entire country. Absolutely. And obviously in China, they have to worry about the same thing. They have you know a tremendous aging population. Does anybody think that China is going to continue to be extremely aggressive on an international stage in 20 years? I don't. No. They're going to they're going to step back. They're going to try and moderate their problems in their society and and eventually they will become as I think I've said to you and many other people over the past few months, China is a regional power. They always will be because of resources, their population is still going to be massive even if even, even by 2045, 2050, 2060, when their population halves due to aging and a lack of, of, of new live births, they are going to still be 500 plus million people. That is a huge number of people. Yeah, Nigeria might be the same population as China by then. Probably, yeah. But it's, but so. By the way, folks, look up the population oh, yeah. growth and, and size of Nigeria. That assumes no tapering of the birth rate, which the reality is, is we have yet to see any society that grows that rapidly not significantly taper off just naturally. Yeah, famine, food, the collapse of, of social structure, war that will eventually cure but those issues. I'm also thinking more along the lines of how. When there's a lot of other people around, people tend not to have children. Yeah. Uh, when your standard urbanization, of, when your standard of living increases, you tend to not have more, uh, as many children because they're they're expensive. So you have a lot of factors at play that that will likely taper that. I don't think this exponential forever growth no. is going to continue. But Nigeria will be probably the population powerhouse of Africa with without any problems. And that's very that's a very interesting shift in dynamic in Africa. 
again, that's something else we can talk about again in the future in more detail. But, you know, the uh, this next century will be very interesting to see how does Africa become a, a much more dynamic economy or does it stay and stagnate as it has for the past, well, since uh, for the past 60 years or so? It'll be very interesting. I mean, not that they've stagnated, but there hasn't been as much advancement despite the foreign investment and, and stuff. So anyways. I've not shared this with you, but one of the things we're going to talk about coming up soon is how the COVID and Zoom and parents watching their children do or not do schoolwork uh, has absolutely caused a ruckus when it comes to some of the fundamental procedures that are screwed up when it comes to education. And one of those is the fact that a lot of parents have realized their children can't read because they're not teaching phonics. And I'm going to, I've got some information I'm going to share with you so we can have a real solid discussion on it. It is, let me just say this, the, the videos that I saw of children online learning and what parents are talking about, I was utterly flabbergasted. I mean, just. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the more meta point that you're driving at here is that parents have, for the first time, had real insight into what's being taught in the classrooms and that's exactly right. See, you're not allowed to be in the classroom and, and you know, exactly. there's really no PTA. That's just a, that's just a networking social thing. You know, there's parents used to volunteer. It's discouraged. You know that I know that exactly, you know, the resources out there for education could be astronomical using retirees to get into the classroom. There's so many things you could do that would be economically spot on. But the, what I saw is like, I'll give you a quick example without uh, letting everything ahead of time. Um, so Johnny's, you know, there's a C, C, David, ride the what? It's a blank. And the word is, is horse. So what they don't teach is the kid to, you know, sound it out. There's no phonics. The teacher says things like, so which picture do you think? And they show pictures. And so the word horse, they show a cow, they show a person, they show a mountain, they show a horse. Which one of those do you think that word means? So it's, it's picture association. I just, yeah, that's who bad. the hell, how the hell do you learn to read with picture association? I think, I think a lot of the education problem also comes down to, like I remember vaguely, you know, growing up, Parents should spend a lot of time with their kids. Obviously, you did. And a lot of what children a lot of what children can do when they go into school, almost all well, not a lot. The majority of what children can do intellectually has, has already been set. There's there's a baseline set based on, you know, how much does anybody even talk to the kid? Yep. I mean, almost a, everything. A lot of so many parents you see, they literally just shove an iPad or a tablet in front of the kid. And they just they just want them to shut up. Do you remember and when if I, they could put a helmet on them where it would silence the screaming and the talking? They would do it. You know, they view them as as a uh, they view them as like a social status item, and it's just gross. You know, it's it's no different than somebody who just abuses animals. You know, and they they drag them around and treat them as as if they're you know like a little status item. Like, oh, I'm gonna go take my dog for a walk because you know that gets me more attention from people on the street. And then you know what do they do? They they throw them in their room or a, or a crate or whatever for, you know, 23 hours a day. I mean, it's, it's, 
honestly, it's some of some of some of what people do now is just terrible. And of course, people, you know, cope with it. Animals cope, people cope, and it's just a uh, it's just gross. So you know, unfortunately, if you don't talk to children, engage them, yeah. It's annoying. Some people don't like it, but it's just what you have to do because eventually, you know, children have a really long tail. They're they're children are an extremely long tail investment. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and that's why going back in time to a much more agrarian society, you know, people like to focus on oh, I, I had lots of children, so they would take care of me. It's like, well, yeah, they would take care of you, but also so that your business would sustain itself, so that they would have enough of an infrastructure so that they would be taken care of. You know, like you say, like you like to point out that I I have mentioned in the past, you know, it's the old military. One is none, two is one. And that number then continues, you know, everything. Well, with children, it's more like, especially in a, let's say a 17th and 18th century mind frame, you know, uh, three is one and six is maybe two. Because how many of them are going to live to full age, not get injured, uh, not die of a disease, or get called out to a war or something? So, you know, at the end of the day, you need to have six, eight children to effectively totally replace yourselves and then actually grow the population of, of your family unit or, or your clan or whatever. And obviously with technology and, you know, medicine and everything, um, there's been fantastic advancements in the in the reduction in uh, in deaths from disease and other complications, um, so we don't need that many people. Until but, but the we, big one hits, and then we're going to wish we had a lot more people. But the reality is, is at bare minimum, you need like two point four, whatever the number is, for sustainment. Yep. And most countries don't have that. I mean, it's a scary thing to realize. I I'll, I'll leave you with this one. Uh, Japan historically has had one of the worst birth rates in the, in the world, right? Terrible. Correct. Japan, I think, is now now has the highest birth rate in Asia. Really? Yeah. Because except everybody for, else fell, not because there was rose. Except for some small countries. It's you know we're talking about the majors, right? Okay. So now my question is: Did they rise, or did the other everybody else no, just drop? Everybody else is dropping. Really? Including North Korea. People have talked for years about, oh, North Korea is going to outpopulate South Korea, blah, 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 blah. No, North Korea's birth rate is falling. There's nothing they can do to, to stimulate it. Cool. It's, 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 it's just a general problem. It's almost as if people can kind of feel the earth is getting a little full. <laughs> you know, uh, for those of you who can say something along the lines, oh, yeah, talk is cheap. What did you do? Well, you are my son, uh, my eldest. And I remember you, we've heard it, uh, I have no problem saying uh, my mother and father are passed away. Um, I don't ever remember my dad ever saying anything close to this, but uh, your mother's parents, uh, you know, we took a lot of crap for having three kids. Oh yeah. We have friends like, why are you having three? And well, we're going to keep going if we can. We, we had to stop at three because of a medical condition, but you know, here's the thing, you know, we would, you know, we've always talked about, we'd had four, five, six, we'd kept on going. And people are like, I can't believe you are professionals. You have all this education. You don't need to do that. Enjoy yourself. I used to get so. Yeah, there's a lot of social programming around that. And, you know, I think there's an unfortunate reality. We see it a lot with retirees. A lot, uh, so much. That Even clients would say that to us. Well, well, what are you doing? Absolutely. But, uh, but how I, do you do it? 
the one one of the major takeaways for me is just having seen, talked to, whatever, lots and lots and lots of people over the past many, many years um, who, oh, you know, I had my, my one child and, you know, he died of cancer at age 50 and now I'm alone. Oh, yeah. No, or, we have, how many or, clients we have like that? I mean, we have hundreds and hundreds. Where they didn't have children. Yeah. Or whatever the problem is. And just to me, the profound sadness that you get with, with some of those people is, is unfortunate. Yeah, they're, they're pretty much living a lifestyle regardless of their wealth. Uh, they're living in a van down by the river eating cheese. It really, a lot of them are just sad. Yeah, and, you know, obviously, like, that's not everybody. There's some people that are perfectly happy doing what they've done. But point is... Is Those people tend to be engaged with very socially active oh, and engaged. Well, and and here, they're also physically fit. Yes. Uh, we know of a person who has some physical issues, uh, but is absolutely sharp as a tack. Nothing get, gets this person down, works out all the time. They're always engaged. Yep. Not, not going to go down, you know, in pity, in but, a pity party. Yeah, so, so to my point is, is, you know, now take that and that being an anomaly and now take that and apply that to like Japan or South Korea or something where they have these horrendously low birth rates. Now multiply that by an entire country. Yeah, that's, that's a problem. That's, people wonder why certain countries like South Korea in particular has this really crazy high depression and suicide rate. Now, there's a lot of factors for that. It has to do with the climate. As far as I know, South Korea has like this Seattle kind of climate. Seems very depressing to live in. Yeah, we, we know but, we know a little bit about the Seattle area. But then, you know, you multiply <laughs> it by these other problems. I mean, for goodness sake, in South Korea, they have air, anti-aircraft guns sitting on like high rises. <laughs> yeah, after a while. Cause, At, uh, after a while, like all these things kind of compress and, and, you know, whatever. Uh, also, I don't people think people really understand how populated South Korea actually is. There's a lot of people there. It's not a very big place. Yeah, it's not big. So there's also just the basic reality of it's expensive. There's not a lot of space to do stuff. A little claustrophobic. Yeah. I mean, Seoul, my, I mean, if people haven't gone on you know, Google Maps or, or Google Earth or whatever and just kind of cruised around some of these major Asian metro areas, it will make your head spin as an American. Like, you think, you think New York is big. New York is like a drop in the bucket compared to some of these places. It's, it's wild. Well, we're going to wrap up. Uh, couple, two things. Uh, one, we're going to be changing some things, and I'll, sh- I'll share that with you here in just a moment. But uh, I don't know if you knew this. Do you know that the World Book Encyclopedia is still published? I figured it was. So when I was a little boy, um, back in the early 60s, my mother and father would buy a World Book Encyclopedia every year. And I kind of regret having not kept those things um, because it would be interesting to go back and look at those and compare what is being reported as history versus what was history then. You know, how, yeah. how, do, how do they portray Adams and Washington and Hamilton and Burr then versus now? That would be sure. interesting. But the World Book Encyclopedia, uh, the 2023 edition, is over 14,000 pages long, 22 volumes, and it's $1,199. Now, for those of you who may be listening who have children or if you are a grandparent with some money, if you want to give something to a child, to a family that is worth its weight in gold, get them a physical print edition of the World Book Encyclopedia. I'm going to start pounding away at this, and I'm going to get a hold of these guys. 
They also have, of course, the the online version, but they also have these. It's really cool. They have the the Discovery Science Encyclopedia. They have um, you know all these different year by year books. We used to my mother and father would always get the year by year update books as well. But think about this. If you sat down and you have a, a little guy, you know, they're starting to read, you actually teach them phonics. And instead of, uh, you know, watching the latest uh, stupid replay for the 457th time of the Super Bowl, which I did not watch and don't give two craps about, um, if you actually sat down with your kids and started reading yeah. and actually teaching. Now, you and I and, you know, our, you, or the three of you and mom and I, we traveled the country. We'd always take maps, and you guys, we would oh, yeah, absolutely. remember we tracked everything, and you'd have to write in your journals, and we yeah, absolutely. yeah. And then we used to do a thing where we'd go to some place, some you know, Bohunkville, USA, and I we'd get out of the car. Remember, I used to do this. Okay, mom and dad are no longer with you. We're dead. Uh, we're not here. How are you going to figure out what to do? And I always said, begin with charts and graphs. And we'd make you stand there, and okay, we got to figure it out. And you just have to figure out where you're at and where you're going. And then the other thing I always felt bad about, but I don't anymore. I remember when I used to drag you guys into my office and 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 make you give speeches. And you'd, poor Allie, she she would cry sometimes, and Graham, and you didn't like it either. But all three of you can stand in front of anybody on any day, any topic, and 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 go at it because of yes. simple fundamentals. Yeah, it's. Uh... It's it's a it's it's a skill, but it's also the ability to think on the spot. What are you what are you talking about? I mean, I remember you've talked about this a lot. The ability to speak about what you're doing without having it pre choreographed or pre written or whatever is important. It's it's just a skill, you know. If you it's, it's it's again, it goes back to if you're sitting in front of the computer or or your your tablet or whatever, and all you're doing is consuming information and you're not actually creating anything. You're not communicating with people. All these things are perishable skills. Yep. Uh, that's probably one of the missing pieces to, uh, was it Castaway? Uh, yeah. You know, he's talking to the he's talking to the ball, talking to the ball. Wilson, Tom Hanks, great movie. You know, if, if you don't continue to do that, you'll lose it. And unfortunately, that is, you lose it very quickly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> again, like talking about, you know, retirees and things, when, when retirees start to have some, let's say some cognitive challenges and they, they start becoming a recluse, they lose their communication and capabilities and their rash, rationalizing capabilities really quickly. Oh yeah. And again, that goes back to what we were saying earlier, you know, staying engaged despite your circumstances is extremely important because humans are very, very social creatures. And that goes back to what we we're talking about with COVID COVID lockdowns and all this BS behavior by the government and everything. It really shows you, uh, it's extremely detrimental. I mean, you know, on the topic of education, it seems like all this is pretty connected. Um, there were a lot of interesting uh, news articles and things with relation to how children's uh, speech development was significantly hampered because of COVID. Because it turns out a lot of children aren't being talked to by their parents. So they're well, surprise, 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 as Gomer would say. So a lot of the those those skills were being driven by the their time in daycare and battling with other children and you know get-togethers and things like that and obviously then eventually school or pre-k 
Well, I'm going to say this, and I don't care what anybody thinks. Uh, this year marks the 50th year. It just dawned on me while we were sitting here. This is the 50th year that I have been lifting weights on a regular, consistent basis. No, actually, that's not true. I just realized that's also not true. This is my 52nd year. There you go. <laughs> this is my 52nd year of lifting weights. And I'm not Charles Atlas, but I'm not... I'm not uh, Bill Gates. Um, most people see me would say, you know, boys, the boy's still pretty damn strong, and, and I could probably buff up pretty easy in a matter of just a couple of months. I could, I could do it again. And I'm not a young man. The point is, if you don't use it, you lose it. <laughs> and you lose it a lot faster than you gain it. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm dead serious. There's rarely, rarely do I miss. Uh, I'll try to do it at least three to five times a week. I'll get 100 push-ups in every day. Uh, not every day. Every three to five times a week. And I always do push-ups every, every day. I'll do it never less than 25 to 50. But let me tell you something. That's, uh, you know, that, that comes in handy. You know, doing the crunches, doing the, the curls. I mean, yesterday I worked out pretty heavy. And I took a shower and looked in the mirror and went, damn, <laughs> I'm a little buffed up <laughs> for an old guy. Yeah, it reminds me of... Uh... Uh, what is it, a Socrates quote about how it's a disgrace to grow old before seeing what you're capable of physically. And, you know, a lot of people don't ever don't ever do that, but the other aspect to it is that it's not something you can do overnight. It takes an entire lifetime of, of, of persistence. Yeah, 2007, 8, 9, I proved to you and your, your brother how, uh, how uh, strong the old man could be, didn't I? <laughs> Absolutely. That was one big-ass strong mofo. Okay, what do you say we get out of here? I got to get out of town. I got to fly out of here. Uh, we'll have to get this up and squirt around. Last parting words, and then we'll call it. I got to get to Pluto in just a few moments. Any final words of wisdom? Uh, no, I think leaving it on the Socrates item is, is good. I like that. Okay, we're out of here. Tip Canoe, Tyler 2, Hasuega, Simignana, done. The Paul Trustel Podcast is produced by the Trustel Media Group. Monkey Joe, producer, all rights reserved.